Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, March 23rd. Ready or not, the second half of the Sunshine Swing is officially underway. We have singles results from the 2023 Miami Open to discuss on today's show. Of course, that 1,000-level event is going to be the focus of today's episodes. It's a staggered start for the men's and women's singles draws. As such, we've already seen some of the top seeds in the event in action on the women's side of things. Only one upset as of 10.43 p.m. here on Thursday night. That upset, not entirely surprising. It's been a particularly slow start for Daria Kasatkina here in 2023. She suffers another early exit, this time at the hands of Elisa Mertens. We can explore that result on today's show. But more broadly, I want to talk about who has stood out thus far in each of the women's and men's singles draws. On the women's side, again, we just have a broader pool of players to choose from. It was a fairly straightforward day of results on Thursday for the women. Again, many of the top seeds looked the part. We have some fantastic battles set up already for round number three of this event. And of course, that's what the 1,000 level events always offer. Even with the expansion of the draws to 96 players, you just have just about every top 50 player in the world, even without Iga Shviantek in this Miami Open draw on the women's side. Of course, you have just about everyone but Djokovic and Nadal on the men's side as well. So it's going to be a really fun 10 days in Miami. And because we haven't yet offered the top contenders or at least had that discussion as it relates to the women's singles draw here at Cracked Rackets, I do, when speaking about what's happened so far in Miami on the women's side, want to also offer on today's show my thoughts on who the players to watch are, some of them fairly obvious, but who are contenders, you know, three, four, five on the list and who are some of the dark horses you need to be on the lookout for. I want to get into that a bit here on today's show. Just going to be me offering my thoughts. We'll run through again all the women's singles results, all the men's singles results as well. Now, we don't have any seeds in, or we haven't had, excuse me, any seeds in action thus far. That starts on Friday, but certainly coming off of Phoenix, coming off of Cleveland, coming into this round of 128, I suppose, or this first round action in Miami. One of the players, of course, we were watching most closely on the men's side was former University of Illinois All-American Alexander Kovacevic, who with his three-set win over Hami Munar earlier today, he now, at least in the live rankings, breaks into the top 100 for the first time in his career. And of course, we had the chance to speak with Alexander Kovacevic last week in Phoenix. If you want to hear about his rise over these past seven, eight months, go check out those podcasts. We've been fortunate to have Kova multiple times over the years. But yeah, he was great today. You know, obviously, I suppose a de facto upset, Dushan Lajevic over Andy Murray. We can talk about that result. We can talk more broadly about the conditions uh, and how they affect our perspective of, I don't know why I say our, how it affects my perspective of things, I suppose, moving forward. Want to get into all that again. Just a couple days of Miami 
play in the books. Obviously, have a couple of days worth of reactions for all of you listeners. I also have to sneak in my thoughts on a college result because we had to pre-record this week's episode of The Deciding Point, of course. I know many of you mini-break fans probably don't follow the collegiate level as closely. You really should. It's the most exciting level of tennis, in my opinion. Just the atmosphere, the excitement, the energy, not just from the fans, but from the players in each and every match. And as such, there's a reason you see not just Isner's anymore and Kevin Anderson's, but the Danielle Collins of the world, Jennifer Brady's, Cam Norrie's, Ben Shelton's, Nuno Borges's, J.J. Wolf's. I can go on and on about Rajiv Rahm's, Joe Salisbury's. I can go on and on about the successful transitions of college players to the pro circuit. The easiest way to sell you, you watch one college tennis match, you go to a college tennis match in particular, I promise you'll be hooked moving forward. We cover all the biggest action in the college tennis world on the men's and women's side every Wednesday and Thursday over on the Great Shot podcast feed. So if you've missed out on any of those, you can go again, catch up on everything. But we had to pre-record this week's episode of the men's show. The reason I bring that up, we had a massive upset. Number three, Texas goes to Fort Worth, 4-1 win over number one in undefeated TCU. Now, that was a rematch of the National Indoor Championships. I had the chance to be on the broadcast for that match in February. This Texas team is damn good. I've been saying this group in particular is a year away for two seasons now. They're no longer a year away. They're here, and I want to offer my thoughts on that match because we did have to pre-record. That's just a little nugget for the hardcore, hardcore Cracked Rackets fans who I know listen to each and every show that we do. So I had to sneak. This just is the only platform I can do this on, and that's the blessing, I suppose, of having multiple shows here at Cracked Rackets. And by the way, again, Deciding points, challenger roundups each and every week over on the Great Shot podcast feed. We've done so many great interviews of late on the Cracked Interviews podcast, not just Alexander Kovacevic, but Nuno Borges. Michael Emer was kind enough to sit down for 20 minutes. So many more. You can go find them all over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. You can find all of those podcasts wherever you listen to your shows or on our recently renovated and beautifully designed website, crackedrackets.com. Shout out to super producer Daniel Westoff, who makes it all happen. Again, busy times here at Cracked Rackets. Nevertheless, I know Miami is on the minds of most of you tennis fans, so that's where we're going to start today's show. Shout out to all of you who tune in day in, day out. Shout out to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Let's start with the women's results top contenders in the women's draw. And obviously, we reflected on it a bit yesterday with Pamela Maldonado, which was a very fun episode. We got into who are the top contenders on the men's side, the Alcaraz versus Sinner debate. I'm really hoping to have Pan up on the show moving forward because I just enjoyed exploring her tennis brain and I enjoy hearing opinions that differ from my own. If you listen to the show, you can find out that hers do. And so we had a lot of fun, but nevertheless, again, the biggest news yesterday was the withdrawal of Iga Svantec, who of course, got knocked out in the semifinals of Indian Wells by eventual champion Elena Rabakina. She expressed after the match that she had been nursing a rib injury, and that injury, unfortunately, will prevent her from trying to defend her Miami Open title. Now, even if Arena Sabalenka, who's closest in points to Iga Sviantek, wins this Miami Open title, she will still trail Sviantek by over 1,200 points, so a full 1,000-level event title gap, and that's assuming Iga does doesn't gain a single point moving forward. Iga still got plenty of 
padding in her world number one status. But obviously, she won the Sunshine Swing last year. And now she's not going to be able to defend either of those titles. So the gap does narrow slightly. It's always a disappointment when you don't get the world number one in the event, especially the defending champion, especially someone in Iga Sviantek who has been one of the defined, not one of, maybe the, her and Carlos Alcaraz, the defining players of the past 15 months in professional tennis. Hopefully Iga gets well, though, because obviously she is the player, no doubt, the capital T-H-E, the player to beat once the clay court season begins. And obviously with so many points to defend as well, the 37-match win streak from the Sunshine Swing uh, through French Open last year still has tons of points to defend coming up. So it's much more important that she gets healthy, preserve the long-term perspective. You understand her pers- uh, her her reasoning in withdrawing, excuse me, from this event. But obviously, draw opens with the withdrawal of the world number one. And for what it's worth right now, you look at the Tennis Abstract Women's Singles forecast, at least coming into today prior to all of the seeds getting underway. Number one contender to capture the Miami Open title. I don't think it's going to be a surprise to anyone. She's number one in 2023 ELO rating as well. Just earned a title at Indian Wells, made the Australian Open final earlier this year. There's no doubt Elena Rabakina has separated herself as one of the three best players right now in women's tennis. We've had the discussion repeatedly here. Her, Sabalenka, Sviantek, that's where the conversation begins. Now, if you want to include Krejcikova on that list, and I'll get into why I do in a moment here, you can do so. But just again, this is where we're going to start today's conversation, given the withdrawal of Igas. I do want to look at the top Miami women's contenders entering this event, and then I suppose I will offer my prediction, because I haven't done that yet, for all of you Cracked Rackets fans. Right now, according to Tennis Abstract, Rabakina, the narrow favorite over Arena Sabalenka, which, by the way, makes sense considering she just beat her. Rabakina, 15.1%. Sabalenka, 14.3%. Now, why is that a little bit surprising? I do think Sabalenka would be the overall favorite, but listen to the names in the Sabalenka quarter, which, by the way, gets underway tomorrow. In her quarter, not her half of the draw, just her quarter, Caroline Garcia, fifth seed overall, obviously on a hard court, her serve, her forehand. She's the only player over the last 52 weeks to hold serve over 80% of the time, and she's at over 83%. She still has no points to defend until the start of the grass court season is playing. The, you know, the last stretch of free tennis on her schedule, and as such, there is some urgency for her to put another big result with Cincinnati, the year-end finals, obviously on the horizon, U.S. Open second week as well. Garcia's in her quarter. That's not even the biggest threat. The biggest threat, of course, 16th-seeded Barbara Krachikova, of course. Sabalenka, three-set win over Krachikova in the round of 16 at Indian Wells. She'll have to do that again here at this event as Krachikova, the 16th seed, and in Sabalenka's immediate section would be the round of 16 matchup. Of course, the two times they've played this year, both matches have gone three sets. Krachikova, the three-set win in Dubai. Sabalenka returned the favor in uh, Indian Wells. Of course, you look for Barbara Krachikova since uh, the end of the U.S. Open, which of course immediately following, she won 
back-to-back titles in both Tallinn and Ostrava since the start of her post-U.S. Open 2022 run. Barbara Krachikova, 22-6 overall, including multiple wins over Iga, a win over Sabalenka, couple wins over Ben Chich. I mean, she has proven she is tier one good, has obviously uh, rapidly risen back up the rankings all the way up to number 12. You want to look at the ELO rankings, which measure who you beat and what your scores are. Krachikova fourth here in 2023 specific ELO. She's back up to number 11 in overall ELO as well. It's interesting because Tennis Abstract has her ninth by uh, their singles forecast, which makes sense because she's in the same section as a uh, same quarter, excuse me, as Sabalenka, as Caroline Garcia, as other dangerous players like Veronica Kudermatova, who makes the quarterfinals of everything, World Tour finals last year. You have Carolina Mukova, the dangerous qualifier, who just got another ho hummer of a win in her first round match. Mukova, uh, a fairly comfortable 0 2 victory over a top 50 player in Jill Teichman. That's a really difficult first round match for each player. And, you know, for Mukova, who got injured, of course, she's back up to number 53 in the live rankings. You look for her 2023 specific results according to the ELO rankings, which I like to use more than how many points you've accumulated at this point. Mukova 11th in 2023 specific ELO rating. I think that's a far more accurate barometer than her current number 53 live ranking. She's in this Sabalenka quarter. Big serving Pliskova. Always dangerous, regardless of what the event is. And just to quickly look up, because again, I didn't do this podcast for you listeners, but you look for Carolina Pliskova in her career in Miami. Pliskova, 19-9 and overall at this event. She reached the final back in 2019. She's made the quarterfinal round here in Miami four different times. Again, to 15, 17, 18, 19. She's the dark horse in this section. Then you've got 32nd seed Ju Lin, who's won a lot of matches this year. Kirstea coming off of a good Indian Wells. Boshkova struggled of late, always dangerous. Madison Keys. What if Madison Keys is hot? She serves well. She's got weapons to maybe not make a deep run, but why couldn't she knock off a Krachikova? Why couldn't she knock off a Sabalenka? Again, this Sabalenka quarter of the draw is as loaded a section as you will see in any tournament we see this year. Sabalenka, Krejcikova, Garcia could all be construed as top five contenders to win the title. And then again, players like Vondrusova, Kudermatova, Pliskova, Mukova, Keys if she's hot, all lingering. Even for Sabalenka, round one against Shelby Rogers is no fun loaded Sabalenka quarter of the draw. That's why she's at 14.3% to come full circle here. That's why Rabakina is the slight favorite, not just the head-to-head win, but how difficult that perspective pathway might just be for Arena Sabalenka. Those are your top two. A little bit of a gap between them and number three on the tennis abstract singles forecast. Pagula, who, you know, didn't have the greatest, uh, Indian Wells run. Obviously, you look uh, for Jessica Pagula, who's the number three seed here this week and did get a straight set win over qualifier Catherine Sabov in round number one. Now, she's got Danielle Collins. Battle of Americans should be sold out, you hope, in Miami. Uh, that's a Saturday match. Oh, that will be sold out. You know, the round of 16 loss ended her quarterfinal streak, but she lost 7-6 in the third to Kvitova at Indian Wells on a slow, high-bouncing surface that will never be her preference. Now, things are pretty slow still in Miami, but 
straight set win after a bunch of three set battles in Indian Wells. She's had a week to rest up. I think Pagula's got to be in your top five on respect, particularly considering now there is no Iga Svantec in that top half of the draw. Now, she'd still have to go through perhaps a Rabakina in the semifinals. And as of right now, Rabakina actually, from 3-5 down, she won the first set 7-5 against Kalinskaya. Kalinskaya, though, serving for the second set. So who knows if there's going to be an Elena Rabakina there. You know, again, it's not easy. No draw is easy in these events. Jessica Pagula, 9.5%. Belinda Bencic, who's had a lot of time to rest following her first uh, match exit, to, uh, she didn't lose to Kalinskaya. I forget who she lost to at Indian Wells, but Tennis Abstract has her fourth 7.5%. Goff, 6.3%. Jabour, 59 That's too high. Just, again, we don't know the state of Jabour's health, and too many players are playing too well right now. I just, to ask Jabour to get it back this quickly, I don't think that's a reasonable expectation. Sakari, 7 Kvitova, eight. Again, Krechikova should be way higher, but she'd have to go through a Sabalenka, have to go through a Garcia just to get to the semifinal round of things, potentially. That's why she's so low. And then the always volatile Yelena Ostapenko, 10th in the tennis abstract singles forecast. Just to go through those quickly, because I know there are a lot of pauses. Rabakina, one. Sabalenka, two. Pagula, three. Bencic, four. Goff, five. Jabur, six. Sakari, seven. Kvitova, eight. Krechikova, nine. Ostapenko, ten. None of those seeds, barring Rabakina, loss. Here to Anna Kalinskaya. And if she does lose, I'll come back tomorrow and do a little five-minute addendum, watch the full match, provide a podcast specifically for why there is no Sunshine Swing champion this year. Uh, but let's look at the results we have seen thus far on the women's side of things. You look, we did have one upset. Daria Kasakina knocked out 4-6-6-2-6-2 by Elisa Mertens. There's no denying it's been a very slow start to 2023 for Daria Kasakina. You look for her now overall on the year, the current world number eight, five and eight now to start this season. And I mean, look, again, matches with content, tech context, every draw is loaded. And Kasakina has been seated at all of them. But listen to who these matches are to. She lost three sets to Noskova in Adelaide. Noskova made the final. She lost 0-2 the next week to Benchich in the Adelaide final. Fine, but she made a final. First round loss, 1-1 one one to Gracheva at the Australian Open. Not great, though. Gracheva, as we've talked about a lot here at the mini break, has been one of the rising players. The 22-year-old here this season has worked her way into the top 65. Quarterfinal loss to Chin Wen. In a vacuum, not bad, but she lost it 1-2. Round of 16 loss to Haddad Maya, 3-6. Again, not horrible. 7-5 in the third loss in Dubai to the eventual champion, uh, Krechikova. 4-4 four four loss to Gracheva again at Indian Wells. Now the three-set loss to Mertens. None of the losses are horrible. It's just that they've started to compound. And again, the margins for Kasekina are always going to be extraordinarily thin. And you look for her last season, 41-22 overall. She went 13-6 in deciding sets. Had to play nine three-set ma- uh, 19, excuse me, three-set matches last year. You know, overall went four and eight in breakers. And again, is not someone who's going to hold serve a lot. She is reliant on, not, I don't want to say not hold serve a lot, but she, Daria Kasatkina is the number two uh, returner right now on the WTA Tour over the last 52 weeks has broken serve 48.3% of the time, which, 
you know, again, is exceptional. She's breaking serve half the time. The problem is you look for Kasakina amongst top 50 players. She currently ranks 47th amongst top 50 players in hold percentage, holding serve just 61.3% of the time. Look, she's lost to an with we've talked about it all year, the rise of the power tennis players, right? Sabalenka Rabakina magnifying that the most, but players like Kudermatova and Bencic and the Chinwens and the Naskovas of the world who just have those weapons, the Kostyuk to hit through any opponent. Kasakina was is on her back foot a lot. And even against Elisa Mertens, who, you know, has not lit the world on fire over her last 52 weeks. This was a very big win for Mertens, who uh, now, again, into the round of 32 after a first-round exit at Indian Wells and actually has had a pretty decent start to 2023, 12-7 overall now for Mertens, working her way back into the top 40. It was a very steady match. Kasakina couldn't finish points. Like, everything was on Mertens' terms, and she found her rhythm in set number two. And again, that's the issue for Kasakina in terms of trying to stay within the top 10. It was a very young top half of the WTA Tour last year, and every year that group gets more experience, they also become more physical. And The physicality is what separates Kasakina from so many. As that gap narrows, again, she's going to have to find a way to shorten points, to make points a little bit easier on her terms, not just working the ball out of, in the outer thirds. I mean, she spreads the court so well, finds angles so well, but again, an overwhelming weapon. Her top spin plays better on clay. She'll be excited for the change of surface, but you know, again, it was a rough start for Kasakina. She's the only upset thus far on the day for what it's worth, though. Rabakina has been pushed to the third set. She's down love 30 in her opening service game. So maybe I won't need an addendum. Maybe that match will be over by the time this mini break is over. And there you go. That'll be your answer. Sadly, we're all enjoying this upset in real time. But, you know, again... Other standout results on the day. Shout out to Claire Liu, who was the beneficiary of Iga Sviantek withdrawing. And after we saw Liu 0-1 by Sviantek at Indian Wells, I'm sure she was fine facing Julia Grabert. Claire Liu, the 6-4-6-3 victory. Look, Liu's a former Junior Slam champion. Claire Liu now 22 years old, turns 23 at the end of May. With this result, round of 32 uh, in Miami, Lou up to a new career high of number 51 in the live rankings. That's where you want to be. Top 55 in the world. You have the opportunity to play every event. She hasn't even reached the prime of her career. 31 and 24 overall now over her last 52 weeks, but perhaps more importantly, 16 and 19 against opponents ranked uh, out uh, inside the top 100, 9 and 12 against top 50 opponents. It's good, not great. But if you're playing top 50 opponents at about a 500 clip, you certainly belong in that top 50 discussion. And when she has time on that forehand wing, she can generate power. She can play 90% of players even on the backhand wing. Not the best mover, but a very good anticipator. And the movement's fine. Serves not the biggest, but again, has weapons from the ground. Don't let the lack of overwhelming size confuse you. I'm in on Claire Lou's game, have been for a while. It's a good win for Grabert. Gets her again to a new career high, number 51 in the live rankings. She and Merton's the only two unseeded players to advance to the third round on the day. Other than that, you look at the the uh, seeds that were pushed to three sets. Jung Chin Wen, three-set win over the always tricky Arena Camilla Begu, 266-161. Just took her a second to find her first serve once she did overwhelmed Begu with her power. And let's be clear, she hadn't played a match in a month, right? Hadn't played since Dubai, had to pull out of Indian Wells. For someone who plays 
elite power tennis, the rhythm will often be off for Jung Chin Wen. And you could see that in the first set, but that she was able to find her rhythm and that her power did ultimately overwhelm Begu. Good win for Chin Wen, who's sitting right now at a career high 23 in the rankings, 20 years old. She still has tier one potential written all over her, and you're just waiting for that eye-popping result. And of course, let's not forget, she was the only player to take a set off Iga at the French Open last season. Uh, in terms of other seeds pushed to three sets, Paula Bedosa, 7-6-4-6-6-2 over Laura Siegemund. Bedosa's been good which is a little bit of a backhanded compliment considering she was great in the 2021 season. But you look for Paula Bedosa now uh, overall here in 2023. Uh, you look for her again, pretty rock solid, I would say here on the season in terms of the results that she's managed to put together. Six and three, not a ton of matches, but you know, again, Lost to the eventual champion, Rabakina at Indian Wells. Lost to Samsonova, 6-4 in the third in Dubai. Straight sets to Haddad Maya in Doha. Had to pull out against Kasakina in Adelaide. And, you know, again, didn't play the Australian Open. She's looking healthier. She looked extraordinarily fit in her three-set victory over Siegemann. She just broke that forehand down. And while Bedosa didn't have an easy weapon to hit through this court... Siegmund played way too many drop shots throughout the course of this match, and they were bailout drop shots because it was really difficult for her to hit through Paula Bedosa, and that's the biggest positive sign if you're a Bedosa fan. She's look fit, she looks fit. She's moving well. Rabakina, by the way, from Love 30 down, held for one love and now has a 15-40 uh, lead, so two break chances there. Upset alert continues, uh, but Bedosa through in three sets. Uh, she's got a very tricky matchup coming up next uh, as she'll play the winner of Rabakina Kalinskaya. Uh, and then your other three-setter, Haddad Maya, doing Haddad Maya things. 7-6, love 6-6, six, six, love over Martin Sova. Straight set winners on the day. We'll rock through these seeds here quickly. Coco Goff, 4-3 over Rebecca Marina. Marina's forehand hurt Coco Goff. And look, again, that's the prevailing theme. If you have a weapon that you can duplicate with consistency, with elite pace, yeah, Goff's going to leave you some short forehands, give you some opportunities to attack. But again, Goff is moving so well to her backhand. You see the continued persistence for her moving forward. Marino could could wound her, couldn't severely hurt her. Goff served too well. She moves the ball too well. Coco Goff, straight set winner. Ludmilla Samsonova, when she beats you, she crushes crushes you. Golubic, especially on that backhand, could not handle the pace, the heaviness of the Samsonova ball. One and one win there. Good bounce back for Lynette. Three and four over Rodina Collins. Six and two over Tomova. You had Martin Martich three and three over Wang Shiyu. A little disappointing there, certainly, if you're the young uh, player from China because that Martich match on this hard court felt particularly winnable. Ostapenko three and four over uh, Bjorklund. Trevisan four and three over Hibino. Hibino didn't love Trevisan's uh, player box, which certainly gets animated throughout the course of a match, but I didn't see enough of it to really understand the drama. And then, obviously, Potapova one and three over Kostyuk. I mean, on this surface, the Kostyuk serve set up, and boy, when Potapova has time, she just drives through the ball so relentlessly. She is a tier one athlete. Obviously, no handshake at the end with the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. You know, you understand Marta Kostyuk's stance. 
from the tennis perspective, boy, uh, Potapova is just the real deal. And her versus Goff, that's popcorn. That's, again, I mean, just listen to these round three matchups. Now, you know, Trevi Sound versus Claire Lou is interesting in the sense that who's going to win that one? Who knows? You know, Trevi Sound likes to hit a high loopy ball. That gives Claire Lou time. But, you know, Trevi Sound going to work the angles again. How well will Lou get to that ball? Will she have as much time? It's going to be a fun counter, you know, lose more drive, Trevi Sound more round and angular in her shots. Ostapenko, Haddad Maya, I mean, power versus physicality, excuse me, sign me up for that. If it is Rabakina Bedosa and Rabakina did not break, Kalinskaya held, so one all there. Um, I mean, but come on, Rabakina Bedosa, I don't need to sell that. Mertens Martich, if this was 2017, we'd all be in. Pagula Collins. That should be the nighttime match. Lynette Azarenka. Vika looked really good in a straight set victory over Camilla Georgie. And Georgie, who played one of the weirdest matches against Kanepi in round one. Georgie goes, you know, it's a three-setter. couple, uh, I think it was 7-6, 5-7, Georgie wins. She was up four love in the third. Like, was cruising until she Georgied. You know, again, but for Azarenka, she is fit as a fiddle right now. She's hitting through the ball so cleanly because she does have so much time. Because, again, not to be repetitive, but she is moving so well. And, again, you know, Azarenka, disappointing first-round loss, 6-3 and three to Mukova, certainly at Indian Wells. But, you know, Mukova, what, went on to make uh, quarterfinals at Indian Wells? That's not a bad loss by any stretch of the imagination. You look for Azarenka, a very winnable match against Lynette. Then she gets her long time. Foe's the wrong word, but it's always fun to watch the Pagula-Azarenka matchup. So many seeds remaining. I mean, again, we've only had one seed knocked out, and that one seed on the top half of the draw was with, with withdrew, excuse me, in Iga Sviantek. And so, and, and then the other one, excuse me, Daria Kasakina. So, yeah, you get what? If there are eight round of 32 matchups in that top half of the draw and six of them are going to involve 12 of the top 32 players in the world, clear schedule for Saturday. It's going to be a really fun day of tennis. And that's just the women's side of things. Let's transition now over to the men's side of things. And, well, I guess, by the way, quick note. (sighs) Am I going to pick Sabalenka? That quarter of the section is just so – that section is so difficult. That quarter is so stacked. Top half of the draw – I want to pick Chinwen or Samsonova. Top half of the draw – I'm going to go Pagula with the bounce back week. She looked really good today. I'm going to go Jess Pagula in the final. She's going to take on Sabalenka, and Sabalenka is going to beat her. And Sabalenka is going to just continue to assert herself as the clear-cut number two and the clearest challenger to Iga Sviantek for that top spot in the women's game. So that's my prediction. Very boring. Sabalenka over Pagula in Miami. I still think it's going to be a very fun event. Let's now go over to the men's side of things. Again, no seeds in action thus far, but plenty of notable results to discuss on the day. You look at what we saw in round number one. Uh, certainly most impressive to me was Alexander Kovacevic. Again, earns a three-set victory, 7-6-2-6-6-1 over Munar. He's now up to number 98 in the live rankings. And, 
you know, again, you look for the 24-year-old former University of Illinois All-American, 49-30 and 30 now overall in his last 52 weeks of play. But you look for him since making that breakthrough run to the Indianapolis Challenger Final in July before he was knocked out by Wu Bing. You just look at him again uh, during that stretch of time. I mean, the man has just been absolutely lights out overall. And, you know, Alexander Kovacevic, during this stretch, a ridiculous run uh, where he's in that two-thirds club, 39 and 21 overall, where he's made, you know, the quarterfinals of nine, uh, excuse me, yeah, eight different challengers, obviously made that semifinal run at the ATP event in Seoul, now gets his first win at a Masters 1000 level event and does it as a lucky loser into the main draw, you know, coming off of his challenger at Phoenix where he got a very big win mentally over a guy he looked up to in Richard Gasquet. Kova's just got weapons, the serve, the forehand, he's able to play on his terms, the two passing shots he hit on the run to help secure uh, the double break four love lead which I tweeted out if you want to go see a one on the run backhand, one on the run forehand, both cross court were just laughable, a testament to his shot making capability. His contact point is gorgeous. He has the pace. He has the athleticism. He has the drive. It's a really good three set win over again, a guy who makes things physical in Munar. And now you look for Kova. Uh, he's obviously going to get a really fun test uh, in round number two is now he is going to take on uh, Francisco Sarundolo defending semi-finalist, but why can't Kovacevic go and win that match given Sarundalo's recent form of late? Again, winners so far in round number one. You've got, I'm trying to think most notable, Brandon Nakashima, I suppose pretty notable considering Nakashima today, uh, the straight set victory for the American, considering his slow start to the year that Nakashima got that straight set win. Uh, just to get things going a little bit, that's an impressive victory for him uh, in round number one over Oscar Ota. Uh, you had Marcos Giron uh, earlier today. He earned, uh, he played a really fun match, but ultimately, excuse me, Christian Garin, the 6-4 in the third victory for Garin, coming off of the big Indian Wells run, consolidating that with a first round win here. He's back up to number 79 in the world with which the, and given his best surface, Clay Court's coming up. Now you can go play the Masters events qualifying Barcelona, qualifying Monte Carlo, feel pretty good about, you know, your chances there to get into those main draws and win some matches and get yourself back into the top 50. So that's a really good win uh, for Christian Green uh, here in the first round. Uh, again, we had a bunch of first round matches yesterday on the men's side as well, given that staggered start. It's all our first round matches now officially in the books. Your American winners thus far, J.J. Wolf. Broken right out of the gates. He got that break immediately back. Sasha Bublik actually served for the first set up 5-4. But, man, the serve, the forehand, the assertiveness of J.J. Wolf. He's a top 50 player on hard courts for a reason. That's a great bounce back from him after the disappointing Indian Wells. Good first round win over Bublik. I, I said it yesterday. I'll say it again. I think the Wolf draw is pretty good. He's the, the sneaky outsider to be the last American man standing. Emilio Nava, 6-6 six and six over John Isner. We recently spoke with Nava last week in Phoenix, so you can go hear him on the Cracked Interviews podcast. He's just got top 100 athleticism, top 100 pace. It's about putting those pieces together. And again, it was interesting because the game plan against Isner is simple, and the simplicity of that match brought out the best in Emilio Nava. wasn't overthinking things. It was you get a middle third ball, take it to the opposite corner, close the net whenever you got the opportunities, 
Take clean cuts at the return of serve whenever you get them. Don't waste those chances. Nava just played a very concise match. I was very impressed by the discipline. Big win for him. And, you know, now Emilio Nava uh, up to a new career high, number 169 for the 21-year-old. That's what a Masters victory can do for you. Uh, again, Nava, uh, Nakashima, and uh, Mackie McDonald, uh, your other American winner in round number one. Mackie, the straight set victory uh, for him to advance over Daniel Galan. Mackie now 22-14 and 14 since the end of the U.S. Open last year. He's kind of a top 50 guy on hard courts. His speed, his athleticism, and, you know, again, I think it's going to be a really interesting round number two match for Mackie McDonald. Yes, he's taken on a, a higher-ranked player, but Mackie's got the athleticism, the capability to redirect pace that I kind of really like his matchup against Matteo Berrettini, who has struggled of late. You know, Mackie's ability to find the backhand, dip that passing shot low, take the net away from Berrettini, that's going to be fun to watch. I think that's upset alert all over it. But again, that's sort of where your Americans uh, stand right now, at least entering the second round. Of course, still a ton of Americans still uh, to get underway, given Ben Shelton, Tommy Paul, Taylor Fritz, uh, Francis Tiafo, all seated, of course, at this event. In terms of the other notable results, we'll blitz through them quickly. Of course, Husler, three-set win over Ramos. Pea, three-set win over Juan Pablo Varias. You had Fucevic's straight-set win. Ivashka, Popperin, each straight-set wins. Although, we hope our dear friend Michael Immer feels better after he ruled his ankle pretty severely in that second set against Popperin. You had Taro Daniel getting the win after, unfortunately, Rinder Kanesh forced to withdraw. Laszlo Jura win over Alex Vukic. Jan Leonard Struff, semifinalist last week in, in Phoenix. We got to sit down with. He looks fit. He's hitting his serve confidently. Three-set victory over Fabio Fonini. Uh, Chris Eubanks, another American winner. Straight sets over Dennis Kudla. You had Quinton Halise the win over Pedro Martinez. Lechechka, straight set win. The most notable ones I would say that I have yet to mention. Ibing Wu, Probably should have made life more comfortable. In fact, had opportunities to close out sets early on than he did. But 5-5 win over a frisky Kyle Edmund. Edmund looked as fit as I'd seen him in a while. Hit the forehand well. Was able to get Wu out of the center of the court. But Ebing's coming. Coming for all of it. Uh, again, the guy's an absolute stud. So a good straight set victory uh, for him. And, you know, again... I think just about everyone expects Wu Bing to beat Diego Schwartzman, including Tennis Abstract, who has Wu Bing as a 63% favorite. But, you know, again, with seeds getting underway over the next two days, what are the matchups I think you need to watch most closely? Well, a couple of big ones I would point to, uh, just starting with the Americans, because I know many of you who do listen are probably curious, are, are in America and are curious how they're going to do just across the board. Oh, I, f- I forgot to mention, Andy Murray just could not hit a ball through Dushan Lajevic. He just, the ball was sitting short through the court. It really was. His forehand was sitting up. The heaviness of the Lajevic ball pushed Murray so far behind the, ba- uh, behind the court that outside of landing a first serve and really getting an easy look at a first strike into that Lajevic backhand, life was just difficult for Murray. It's the first bad match he's played in a while, but credit to Lajevic, who did push him back, and now he faces American Max Cressy. The Cressy serve into the Lajevic big swings. Cressy's definitely got a shot in that one. Tommy Paul's got Marc-Andre Hussler. Now, the big serving lefty is dangerous, but on these slower, high-bouncing courts in Tommy's, dare I say, home city. I love Tommy in Miami this week. 
Fritz Nava, big hitting. Another American for Nava. That's going to be fun. Uh, again, Francis Tiafo, who's seated. Uh, he's going to kick off his tournament against Yasuki Watanuki, who's earned so many victories on the challenger level of late. Chris Eubanks going to take on Borna Chorch. 32nd seated Ben Shelton. Very winnable match against Adrian Manorino. And honestly, for Eubanks, given Chorch's lack of form of late, why can't Eubanks disrupt that rhythm? Big serve his way to a victory. But the most interesting American first-round match, unequivocally, is J.J. Wolf versus Andre Rublev. And, you know, again, two guys who want to hit the big serve. They want to get the first forehand. We saw them play in, I believe, the City Open last season. And Rublev is 1-0 in the career head-to-head. Yeah, it was Washington last year. Rublev, the 2-3 and win. But that was the doubleheader day. And I don't think we saw the best of J.J. Wolf because, again, I want to see Wolf the pace of his first ball, how it pressures Andre Rublev. You know, again, two guys who structure their games very, very similarly. Strength on strength. Home surface for Wolf. Again, if you're Rublev, you feel like in a Djokovic-Nadalis draw, Alcaraz coming off of the win, yeah, he's the guy, but why not Rublev elsewhere in this event? I'm all in on that match. It's going to be an excellent litmus test for both guys in terms of your other most interesting first-round matches, I think just, you know, upset alert, Lachetschka is going to beat 18th-seeded Lorenzo Musetti. I already mentioned Mackie versus Berrettini, Kovacevic uh, versus Sarundolo. Wouldn't shock me if Struff gets the better of Dimitrov, Umber gets the better of Kesmanovic, Rusevori gets the better of RBA, Wu obviously over Schwartzman, Nakashima over Davidovich Fokina. I mean, those are the seeds on upset alert. I'm fascinated to see Casper Ruud's form after, obviously, a very disappointing Indian Wells, a surface that should fit him well moving forward. He's going to face the always physical Ilya Ivashka. I think that has to be at the top of the list. I mean, again, Wolf Rublev has to be at the top of the list. Kvacevic, I think Sarundalo should be at the top of the list, just given how many points Sarundalo has to defend. Tsitsipas, just for the intrigue question against Gasquet, why not? But look, it's a really fun event uh, we've got lined up over the next 10 days in Miami. How could it not be? It's a 1,000-level event, and of course, we'll continue to have updates each and every day here on the Mini Break Podcast for all of you tennis fans. That said, before I let you go, Texas, 4-1 over TCU. Texas goes to Fort Worth. They take the doubles point, which was really tightly contested when these two teams faced off in February. And for what it's worth, when they played at the National Indoors, fourth straight day of competition, Texas had to play a 4-3 match two days prior to the final, which they come back from a doubles point deficit over Ohio State. They play a 4-3 match or 4-2, whatever it was. The next day, but another three-hour, four-hour marathon against Michigan Versus a TCU team that got through pretty comfortably to the finals. And you could see the difference between how well-rested TCU was down the home stretch of singles that separated those two teams. That said, boy, did Texas come out hot on all three courts. And, you know, Seb Gorzny, the defending junior Wimbledon doubles champion at the number three double spot with Pedro Vives. They're a cheat code. They get a 6-4 win at three. 
But man, all the big guns stepped up for Texas, whether it was, you know, P.Y. Bailey, the superstar sophomore, he and senior C.M. Waldeep or fourth year C.M. Waldeep, because I believe he's got one more year of eligibility left. 6-3 win over a team in Sander Jong and Jack Pennington Jones that have lost like one match on the year. And Jong is top 10 in the country with a different partner. You throw him with a top four, former top 450 player in the world, and they lose 6-3 at two. That's crazy. And then you had a top 10 battle. Spaziri, Harper, 7-6 over Fernley and Fomba. You go on the road against an undefeated number one team in the country. You have to take the doubles point. Texas does that. And then, honestly, they were just so good in singles. They don't, you know, uh, Jack Pennington-Jones gets a 3-1 win over Micah Braswell. It's a really good performance from the freshman who has found his footing. He's the real deal, as good as advertised, as, you know, he, again, continues to get more and more comfortable in this format. But, man, Texas stepped up everywhere else. They didn't lose another match in straight sets. And, you know, whether it was P.Y. Bailey getting healthier by the day, 5-2 and two win on the road over the big serving explosive Luke Fumbo who's going to have that TCU crowd on the edge of their seats with every blast that he hits. And yet, Bailey absorbed the serve, moved the ball so well around the court, found the Fumbo backhand, but wasn't, wasn't um, static in his game plan. It's a huge win for Bailey. It's huge to see him healthier. Nevin Aramilli, though, is the story. Nevin Aramilli is the real deal because while PY's won his last three decisions, Aramilli, who along with Chi-Chi Huang and Evan McDonald were going to be the three options this team had at the number six position, Aramilli's begun to separate himself. He's now seven and one overall at that number six spot. He's won four decisions in a row. He won in four Tomas Jurasek. They played a really close match. I believe they went unfinished at the National Indoors, or again, it was a battle. One in four on the road for RML. He doesn't have a ton of experience despite having been on this Texas roster now for a little bit. That's your MVP. That's what's going to take this Texas team over the top. Not that they didn't already have all of the pieces, but to have so many different options at six. And again, if RML dips off knowing that Chi-Chi's only getting healthier, McDonald can absolutely, with his serve and forehand, hang with anyone at six. You know, again, to get those wins from P.Y. and, and Aramilli, you know you're getting one from the number one player in the country in Elliot Spaziri. And Spaziri provides the clinch, three sets over Jake Fernley. Again, those are two of the 10 best or 25 best players in the country. I guess Fernley's no, right now at number 21. He was top 10 earlier in the season, obviously. Spaziri now 12-1 and one at the number one spot this season. He's number one in the country. Got the early break in the third after dropping the second. And when you're down in a break in the third, and, you're, and Texas has three points on the board, and you're down a break in the third to Elliott Spaziri, I never feel more confident about anything in college tennis right now. And again, Spaziri, Bailey, Aramilli, doubles. That's a path. You know, again, you beat Fernley. You beat Fomba. You win doubles. And you get a win at six, which is the position, whether it's Jirasek, Vivez, or Maxted, and they're all very good options for this TCU team at six, given how good the top five are for TCU. And, you know, again, for what it's worth, Sander Jong was down a break in the third to see him while deep, who came to play. And, yes, Seb Gorsny was up on, on Cleve Harper, but Harper wins the second and keeps that match on the court, keeps any scoreboard pressure from accumulating. Texas can beat you anywhere. You know, they have that depth now. If Aramilly's this going to be this good, and he's 7-1 and one at 6 now, they've got the depth. 
They obviously have that innate belief. This is a team that went 10-1 and in 4-3 matches back in 2021 on their way to an NCAA semifinal berth. Everyone who was on that team is still on this team contributing, more experienced, dare I say better, and to go on the road and beat this undefeated TCU team that is just head and shoulders had thus far looked like the best team in the country. I mean, again, that's why for years, and that's why if you listen to our preseason podcasts on Texas, I wanted to predict them to win the national championship. It's just something about this nucleus, this group. I've seen them do battle. Last year, it wasn't that they weren't good enough. It's that they weren't healthy enough. If they're healthy enough, and they are right now, we still have a month and a half to go till NCAA tournament, but if they're healthy enough, as they proved in Fort Worth, as they proved at the national indoors in Chicago, they are good enough. They 4-1 TCU Probably would have been 5-2, and and Jack Pittington Jones was in the lineup. Like, again, you don't take anything away from TCU because Texas took it to them. And that tells you that this Texas team is, you know, TCU is not on a tier of their own. Texas can beat them, and that's a testament to Texas. And obviously, you look for Texas now 15-2 overall in the year. They lost to TCU at the National Indoor Finals. They lost inside at Columbus where... No one wins. Two teams in the last 15 years. You don't hold that one against Texas. They then beat the Buckeyes inside, which this is a team. Texas doesn't play a ton of indoor tennis. They beat the Buckeyes inside at the National Indoor Championships. They beat Michigan inside at the National Indoor Championships. Now they get their first crack at TCU outdoors. They're better rested. What do they do? They go on the road. They give them the business extraordinarily impressive performance from these Texas Longhorns. If you're TCU, do you continue to play around? Jirasek, Vivez, Maxted? Of course, they'll play around all season long. It'll be very matchup, very spur-of-the-moment dependent. Are you concerned about Fomba? No. I mean, again, is that good. Like, that'll happen some days to Fomba. I don't, I'm, I don't fear that, given his track record. You know, Sanders down a break in the third to Waldeeb. You take the landlord, Sander Jong, every day of the week. Gorsney, Pennington, Jones, they were in winning positions or did get over the finish line. They're the freshmen who have clearly, they're ready to rock and roll. TCU's still good. Texas is just that good as well. When they play their best, again, that best can beat absolutely anyone. This wasn't even their Big 12 battle. These two teams are going to play again later in this season. It's the season finale for each team, April 15th in Austin, We'll be paying attention. You should too. Texas 4-1 over TCU. No longer. I believe NC, at North Carolina A&T, I believe, is your last undefeated Division One team alongside of the North Carolina women. That's it. Two undefeated teams left. None at the top of the Division One men's college tennis world. All that said, that's your action on Thursday in the tennis world. Of course, a shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, who has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Of course, we've got college broadcasts for you on Friday, ACC, SEC play, all of it available over on ESPN, ACC, and SEC Network Plus. We've got podcasts for you up the wazoo. 
this show, Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews. Make sure you like, rate, subscribe, review. Of course, follow us, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at Cracked Rackets, at A.L. Gruskin. A shout-out, of course, as well to our dearest friends over at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.